0: Scripture this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning again. Three people are with me. Good morning. There we go. We find ourselves in a year-long study of the life of Jesus. And we've been in the Gospel of Luke now for many, many weeks, and we're getting close to the end, but for the next four sermons, that includes Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, we're going to be in Luke 21. And Luke 21 is a very pivotal chapter because Jesus is preparing His disciples for the trials and tribulations that they're going to endure before He returns again. And in this chapter, He actually gives eight specific ways to prepare ourselves before Christ's second coming when He returns in glory. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke 21, verses 1 through 6. I encourage you to open up there. And let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank You. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active. And now, Lord, we ask that it would speak to us, not just to our physical ears, but, Lord, would you speak to our very soul. Lord, would you speak? Your servants are listening. May we hear it and receive it. In Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. In Jesus' day in the temple, as we see him here, people would be flocking in to offer their gifts of worship. And whenever they would come in, they would walk past some containers, and there were a lot of these containers throughout the temple. In fact, whenever you would walk into the temple, there's probably not a place that you could stand where you would not see one of them. The containers were in the shape of a trumpet, and their purpose was to receive and hold The offerings that the people brought in. It was as if when people would walk up and place their offering in this trumpet shaped offering pot or box, it was as if a sound was heard, a a trumpet blast was sounded in heaven. Some of the notes were loud, but not far reaching. Some of the notes were small, but they resounded in the heavens. And that's what Jesus is getting at on this day. You see, what people either forgot or did not recognize was that the offering sound as it went into the trumpet shaped pot was not critiqued by the weight of gold or the weight of silver or the weight of copper that was being put in. But the offering was critiqued by the heart that gave it. Some of the offerings were large. And some of the offerings were small. But again, they were not judged in this way. Jesus here, what we see him doing on this day in the temple is observing and discerning something much deeper as people are bringing their offerings. And again, this story, I believe, is strategically placed in Luke's gospel to help us understand how we as his disciples are to be about living in this world until he returns again. And a part of that is this act of giving. Giving an offering is an old and ancient act of worship. It is something as old as, really, time itself. The first dispute and murder we see recorded in Scripture is set in the scene of two brothers giving an offering. The Lord is pleased with one and not with the other. And the story of Cain and Abel, I think, is played out in many different ways throughout Scripture. It's also been played out in many different ways throughout history. But it's interesting. We see this tension around an offering just as the pages of Scripture are being opened. We can go back to the very beginning and see this dilemma. It's also interesting that many times there's a tension that is created in us when we walk past the offering box. It's there. We see it. We know its purpose. But there's a tension there. It's as if we know we're aware of this first dispute between Cain and Abel, and we know that there were questions about one offering that was given versus another. And so we wrestle with this. On one hand, If we love God and we reverence God and we want to live for God, that means we want to please Him. We want to do what it is that He has commanded and called us to do. On the other hand, sometimes we find ourselves at odds with ourselves as we're walking by the offering box. It's as if we're dueling on the inside, wrestling with our own selfishness. Sometimes we find ourselves walking past the offering box as quickly as possible. We don't want to linger too long. We want to go ahead and move on. Sometimes we find ourselves talking about spirituality. Talking about spirituality in a relationship with God that is purely private or purely personal or purely otherworldly. And many times we talk about spirituality in these terms so that we do not have to think about and contemplate the very real material ramifications of our relationship with God. And I think that's why the temple had so many trumpet-shaped offering pots in it. Again, you really, once you got in to the place of worship, there's really no place that you would stand where you did not see one. And I think they all stood there as a visible reminder that it is God who has given us everything that we have, and at the same time, He requires so little in return. The offering pots and the plethora of them, I think also remind us that when we give, God takes what we give collectively together, puts it together for the building of his kingdom and the glory of his name. At least that's how it should be anyway. But our story today, I think, reveals some truths for us in this dilemma that we find ourselves living with as we pass by the offering box. And I use the phrase pass by Because in the temple, the offering plate was not passed around. Again, you had to walk up to it. To give your offering, you had to go up, you had to walk up and place it there. And in doing so, that was an act of worship. It was as if you had to go out of your way in order to make an offering of your offering. Again, an act of willful worship that the worshiper is executing. You had to go out of your way. I remember several years ago when I was a youth minister at a church. I was spending Monday through Wednesday in seminary in Memphis, and I would be back home, and one Friday I was in the office, and I was the only one there. There was a knock on the door. A man came to the door. I let him in. He said, I'm glad someone's here. I needed to drop off my offering. I thought that he was going to be missing the upcoming Sunday. He was like, no, 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 this is last Sunday's offering. I missed last Sunday." And said, I'm just thinking, well, you could just drop it in this Sunday. Are you going to be here this Sunday? He goes, yes. I said, well, you could just put it in there. No, no, no. I have an offering for this Sunday. This is last Sunday's offering. And he said, Chris, once I wrote this check, th- this is now God's. And this is the first chance I had to get here to give it to him. And I'll never forget that. He went out of his way. He's two days away from being back in the building, but he went out of his way. To give an offering to God. And that has stuck with me. That's one of the things you see in the temple. People would have to walk up, place their offerings there. One of the truths that we see here in this text is that Jesus sees us in our moments of worship. Whether they're the sacred assembly on Sunday morning or whether they're on a Friday evening when only one person is at the church office. He sees us in these moments of true worship. In fact, in verse 1 and 2, this is how the story begins. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box. Verse 2, And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. The two small copper coins would have been the smallest denomination that could be used for currency in this time. But notice that Jesus sees both. One is a group of people Categorized as the rich The other, a poor widow, he says And what this tells us Is is that regardless of who we are Or what we've attained in life Jesus sees us He sees us He sees us in much He sees us in little And you may say, well, it looks like Jesus is doing somewhat of a comparison here Well, it's a good question Again, back to the story of Cain and Abel where one gift was accepted and one was not. As Jesus explains for himself, he's not comparing the two gifts to see which one is better, but he's observing the motives that reside in the heart behind the offerings that are given. In our text today, we just see two examples. The Holy Spirit could, inspire, could have inspired Luke to give all the examples. I think as Jesus was sitting there in the temple and he was watching all of this take place with all the different people and kinds of people coming and giving their offerings, he could have given a whole commentary on what was going on in all their hearts, but we have these two examples. And I think we have them for a reason. The first, again, is a group of people just described as the rich. They are coming and they're placing their offerings in the trumpet-shaped offering pots. Now, if pride is a part of this moment and if they're doing this to just want to be seen, want to be noticed, well, that's one thing. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And I think that's what Luke is alluding to. Because notice their their description. They're just rich people. It's as if that descriptive word or phrase is describing what is wrapped up in their identity. But then there's another person. And that is the poor widow. And notice it does not just say widow. She is a poor widow. And this distinction is important. It's one thing to be a widow and experience loss, but then have relatives who can then take care of you. It's another thing to be a poor widow. When the Bible describes someone as a poor widow, what it means is not only have they experienced loss, the loss of a husband, but that loss has left them in a place of poverty in their life. Meaning she had no family to take care of her. And yet here in this moment, she walks up, places in her two small copper coins, and Jesus sees her. He sees us in our abundance, but he also sees us in our lack. And that's why when we come before him, we cannot hide our pain or suffering. We also cannot hide what we think is success either. But the question is for all of us whether it's people on the temple in this day or our question today the question is what motivates us? Whose glory is resonating in our hearts as we engage in all these acts of worship? Who is this really for? And I think this is where Jesus gets to the heart of the situation in verses 3 and 4. He says that she has given more than them all. And then he says why in verse 4, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all, he said, that she had to live on. She put in all. Do you know what all means? That's an IQ test. <laughs> all. All. Jesus is watching this moment when this woman walks up. She has two small copper coins in her hand. I imagine he's watching her wrestle with this moment. It can't be easy. To place in all she had to live on for that day at least. And then she drops it in. And there's a resounding sound in heaven. The first group of people are giving out of their abundance. The rich are giving out of their surplus. And Jesus is not necessarily saying this is a bad thing in and of itself. There's no need to heap guilt on someone who gives out of surplus or a way in which God has blessed them. But he is making a point. And the point that he is making is about sacrificial giving. That's what this woman did. She gave, yes, but she gave sacrificially. And what Jesus is wanting to point out to those who are listening to him on that day and for us today is that there is a faithfulness that is found in love. It goes back to the greatest ethic in the Bible, which is love. When you love someone, it creates a desire in you, a willingness to sacrifice. And love is proven and seen through an action of sacrifice. Just as God's love for us is proven to us and on full display for us in the sacrifice of his son. And God here, he wants these people to know, he wants us to know that sacrificial giving, when we do that, it resounds like a trumpet in heaven. But that's not all it does. A lot of times when we hear preachers like me say things like that, you go, oh, well, okay, that's great. I don't get to hear it blast, so... Hmm. Not only does sacrificial giving mean something in the heavenlies, sacrificial giving also kills our pride in the moment. Sacrificial giving kills our pride. When we give out of our abundance, it is a good thing. I encourage all of us to do that. Everyone who is experiencing abundance in some way in your life, please give From that place. But there are times when we are called to give out of limited means. And in those moments, the key, no matter how or where the gift is coming from, the key is to give the gift in Jesus' name because the giver gets the glory. And when we find ourselves in those moments giving, whether it is out of abundance or whether it is sacrificially, it's so important in those moments to make sure we remind ourselves, we say, he has given me so much and now he has commanded me, so I give out of what he has given me. This is a very humbling act. Giving is a very humbling act. You're saying, this is really not mine, but he told me to give. The prideful act is to say, look what I've earned. Look what I've accomplished. But reminding ourselves that we have everything that we have because He has given it to us, and we give a portion of that back to Him. We are, that is when we are humbling ourselves before Him. We're saying, God, I trust You. You provided this, I give a portion back, and I trust You with my future. I trust You with my future. Instead of trusting ourselves, every time we give, especially sacrificially, we are killing the pride that is within us. That pride that wants to control the present, but also to somehow try to control the future. You know you cannot control your future. But we try, don't we? We try. But the only way to live this way, the only way to kill this kind of pride in you is to have a heavenly and eternal perspective. I love how the Holy Spirit inspired Luke. Because right after you get verses 1 through 4, this moment of Jesus observing people coming in the temple and giving their offerings here, verse 5 and 6 seem to shift, but there's a connection. Verse 5 says, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one left here Not one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's amazing. Jesus is is complimenting in many ways and praising this woman for giving her offering in the temple on this day. And yet at the same time, he's saying one day this is not going to be here. He's referencing, of course, the destruction that's going to come to the temple in 70 AD by the hand of the Romans. But Jesus puts that destruction in a particular way. He talks about the destruction that's going to happen to this material temple, but he puts it in the perspective of an eternal game. He puts it in light of eternity. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus is talking about the value of giving offerings. In the very next conversation, he's talking about not overly valuing the things of this world. It's as if Jesus is looking at His disciples who are around Him, who are talking about and marveling about the temple, and He tells them, do not get caught up in this. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. Yes, the temple has its place. Yes, the temple is where heaven and earth come together. Yes, the temple is where God meets with man. But what Jesus is telling them is that this is but a reflection of the glory to come. And when we give sacrificially, yes, we're killing our pride. We are humbling ourselves before the Lord, declaring our trust in Him. But we do this because we are living with an eternal perspective. When we lose perspective, when we start thinking that this life is all there is, this world is all we have, when we lose our heavenly, eternal perspective, that's when we begin to think, oh, I've got to get as much as I can now. I've got to accumulate as much as I can now. Or I've got to control what I have now because this is the only chance. It's my only shot. And again, those are moments when we lose our perspective in light of eternity. And those are moments when we turn into a monster And that monster is the worst kind of monster. It is a greedy monster. When we lose a heavenly and eternal perspective and living our life in light of that perspective, when we lose that, all of a sudden our heart and mind are just ravaged by greed. That is when our heart and mind, ravaged by greed, we begin to think this is all there is. But this reminder that not even the temple will one day be standing is a reminder that everything that we can purchase for ourselves will not enter eternity with us. In fact, all the things that are made by human hands and human minds will one day not be in our hands and not occupy our minds when we stand before him. None of it will. And so we have this beautiful moment of sacrificial giving from a poor widow, which Jesus honors in this moment. And yet he also says, you cannot get caught up in this material world because it's not all there is. And it's not all you have. And so Jesus says, give, give. And when you give, you're declaring your trust in him. When you give, you're killing your own pride. But you can only do that. If you live your life in light of eternity. And the description here that we have, this example of the rich and this poor widow. The difference between the two is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. The rich, they're giving an offering. But they're giving an offering to and for themselves. They're giving it to be seen and noticed. The poor widow is giving an offering unto God out of her love for Him. Because it takes love, true love to truly sacrifice. I want to say something to those watching online and on television right now who are not members of Fraser. I normally don't do this, but... I feel like I should. And if you're watching online or on television right now, I want to say, give to your church. I hope you are a member of a local church, and if you are a member of that local church, be faithful in giving your tithes and offerings to that church. Over the many years of ministry that I've done, I've had a lot of people say to me, well, I don't trust the church I go to. That's why I don't give. Okay. Well, it may be time for you to find another Bible-believing church where you can be a faithful member and where you can give faithfully to it. Because when you do that, you are declaring your trust in Him. You are killing your pride because you are living in light of eternity. And that's the lesson for us today as well. All of us who call Fraser home as well. I do want to say something else. I want to say something to people who are around my age. I'm 39. Some of you are like, I can't believe that. (laughs) Don't worry, you're giving me gray hair. Um, (laughs) If you're around my age, give or take 10 or 15 years, please hear me. I know what you're thinking day in, day out, week in, week out. I I know you're trying to get your career established or you're finding yourself, feel like you're finally getting there and getting your feet under you. I know you're thinking about school tuition either now or now and later. I know you're thinking about retirement. I know you're thinking about your house and, Vehicles and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. I know that there's a, there's a lot there. But for those who are in and around my age, give or take 10 or 15 years, I want to encourage you. Do not leave God out of your financial planning. Don't do it. Your kids are watching you. One day your grandkids will watch you. And it is a powerful thing, people in and around my age, for your kids and grandkids to see you give this thing that seems to just take hold of our generation so much. Money seems to grip us so much. We want what our parents have now. But for your kids and grandkids to see you giving that away, killing that pride in you is a beautiful thing. You need it for your own soul, but you're also a testimony to them. Start now teaching your kids to tithe, that's 10%, and then save 10% and live off the 80% of their allowance. Start now, instill that in them now. Because one thing I know is that when it comes to money, everybody gets tense when you talk about it in church. And yet every one of us think about it, look at it, touch it every day. But don't let it be your God. Let God be your God. And give back just a portion of what he's given to you. And my message is to you as well. If you don't trust how we spend the money here, go find another Bible-believing church, become a member there, and then give there, please. You need it, and the kingdom needs it. And I can say this today, not because we're in some financial crisis or anything. No, everything's going good. Which means I can say this without asking for anything from you other than declare your trust in Him. Kill the pride and the greed and the idol of money in your life. But do so because you live your life in light of eternity. We just took communion, guys. The one sacrifice of all sacrifices for all times that has cleaned the slate for us both now and eternity. He's given us so much, He requires so little. So may we be found faithful in giving our little. Amen? Amen. Father, would you help us? Would you help all of us? Not just those in and around my age. Would you help us all? Be so aware of how you have blessed us. The work that you've done in our life. But Lord, would you give us generous hearts? Would you help us declare our trust in you? Would you help us in giving, kill our own pride? Would you help us see with heavenly eyes so that we may not be entrapped here and now? Lord, I pray your blessings over every person that's here and every family that's here. God, would you continue to bless them? And may they continue to be a blessing to others. I pray this in Jesus' holy and magnificent name. And all the church said, Amen. amen.